Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. It's Friday, February 3rd, 2023, and welcome to another Ben Jarofsky Show, brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all the things there is to know in the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, and every now and again, what kind of pots to smoke if you go to the dispensaries in town. And so much more, including columns from your very own Ben Jarofsky. You're going to love them. Head on over to Chicago Reader, chicagoreader.com. And if you want to help out the show, it's real easy. Just go to chicagoreader.com forward slash Jarofsky. That's J-O-R-A, V is in victory, S-K-Y. Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this a bunch of damn fools Friday, and here's why. <laughs> I want to thank my guest, Emma Tide. She sent me this article. I had already seen it, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, I don't need Emma Tide to tell me what's going on in the newspaper, but I just asked her <laughs> if she would send me this article because I couldn't find it. Uh, I am, uh, um, I'm out of town away from my beloved uh, home-delivered newspaper, so I'm relying on the Internet. And uh, for an old guy like me, that's always scary. Uh, but, um, oh, man, I just can't stop talking about this. A bunch of damn fools. This headline uh, in Quinn Myers' article in Block Club. Shout out, uh, Quinn Myers. A bunch of damn fools. Lightfoot's attempt to advance comment deal with city council ends in chaos. Mayor Lori Lightfoot on Wednesday introduced the proposed 15-year agreement with the utility company. Several older people have questioned the speed and timing of the deal's introduction. I can't stop talking about this. I just had a little conversation with about this uh, in an interview I did with Alderwoman Rosanna Rodriguez, which drop this weekend or everybody to check it out the chicago city council which is has been traditionally a complete and total worthless rubber stamp for the all-powerful mayor uh be it uh daily richard m daily uh or mayor rom uh is showing a light some life these days for all various reasons uh a lot of different factions in the city council we're going to talk about this with emma tide uh some of them uh are uh maga types uh some of them are not full-out maga types but conservative types uh others represent corporate interests downtown so they're like social and liberal issues but uh, i'm really concerned about taxes uh that kind of uh alderman uh, others are uh, my beloved lefties, you know, uh, so they're coming at it from that way. But I mean, if, you, if you think it as a total entity, you put them all together, all those different factions, you know, mini magas, as I call them, maga magas, uh, lefties, whatever, uh, they're refusing to be a rubber stamp. Maybe it's just because it's an election season. It's out of self-interest. I don't care why they're doing it, actually. I just like that they're doing it. And in this particular reason, this particular reason, this is a, um, a, a deal that Mayor Lori Lightfoot has cut with ComEd uh, to uh, pick up for the uh, previous agreement that expired in 2020, which would give ComEd the right, uh, the complete right to provide electricity to the city of Chicago uh, and locks people into certain rates. This is something that should be examined, discussed. This is something we should actually, I don't know, think about. You know, I mean, just think about it. Ponder the consider, ponder the possible consequences before we just sign off on it because the mayor told us it was the right thing to do. And I say this speaking out for the mini magas, the maga magas, the lefties, this the people worried about their reelection, all of them. It's the right thing to do for once in its life. Chicago should do the right thing. Chicago is determined to do the wrong thing year after year after year on all kinds of issues, schooling, policing, mental health, budgets, TIFs, whatever. If there's a wrong way and a right way, Chicago will do the wrong way. That's kind of like bedded in the brain of Chicago. And yet, so finally we have some aldermen who are just, for whatever reason, determined to do the right thing, do a little due diligence, read it, 
How about that? Read it. I had, uh, uh, as my guest, Rosanna Rodriguez, uh, older woman of the 33rd Ward, uh, and uh, she's up against Dick Mel. Dick, well, not literally, but Dick Mel's got some guy <laughs> in the race. You know, who, who matters? Who cares what the guy's name is? It's Dick Mel's <laughs> candidate. And Dick Mel was the one who stood up in the city council back whenever they, they passed that cockamamie uh, parking meter deal, sold off the meters for like 10, for a 1 billion, an asset that's worth 10 billion. And Dick Mel said, no, nah, we don't have time to read this stuff. You know, Scotty Waggis back then was the, like the leading independent in the city council. He said, we need more time. And Dick Mel, who needs time? No one reads this stuff anyway. That's Dick Mel, ladies and gentlemen. That is that is how things are done in Chicago. Santa, meeting. Here's Susanna, uh, Susan Sadlowski-Garza. Shout out, Susan Sadlowski-Garza. Yes, quote, yesterday I had a briefing on this that lasted about 20 minutes. 20 minutes. None of my questions were answered. It was rushed. I don't know who worked on it, on this, or if anyone had of us had any input at all. This is a huge deal, and I don't want. I want to make sure I am not voting on something that's parking meters or skyway bridges. Yeah, you know, you want to know what you're voting on? There's somebody. You're just just going to be a cog in the machine. So they asked for a little more. She, in my life, I got so mad. I said they were acting like damn fools. Have you ever noticed that, like? Chicagoans do something right for once, and they're called fools for trying to do it. So city council, you know, I rag on you. I make fun of you. I tease you. But you did the right thing for once. Just let's pause for a moment and review what we're about to do. Read the damn agreement before you vote on it. Or get some smart person in the office who really knows about this stuff and, and talk to them. Oh, got to pass it now. Make the mayor look good. All right. Had to get off that. I've been dying. I, I, I really haven't really <laughs> got to, had to get that off my chest. Emma Ty, welcome uh, to the show. And uh, first, tell everybody who you are and what you do, and then we'll take it away. Hi, everyone. My name is Emma Ty. I use she, her pronouns. I'm the executive director of United Working Families. And right now we are running a coordinated political program to uh, keep bringing progressive left rank and file activists into city council. And also uh, this time around to elect one of our own to mayor of Chicago, Brandon Johnson. All right. And Matai, yes, uh, a lefty. Uh, and we're also <laughs> about on the Ben Jarowski show, land of the lefties. Uh, <laughs> So, Emma, you did something the other day. You said something the other day uh, that I had. I was laughing out loud. <laughs> I, I forget when it was, about a month ago, I want to say. You were on WBEZ, and they were uh, interviewing about the same subject we're going to be talking about. Uh, yep. And you said, I don't know where this came from. I play to win, end of quote. And uh, <laughs> I was laughing so hard years ago, long, long time ago, back in the 80s. When I play basketball on a regular basis, I play basketball at the Logan Square Y. Shout out, Logan yes, Square Yes, Uh, And uh, there was a guy named Joe who played with us. And Joe was a real scrappy guy, tough guy. Uh, and after the game, after the basketball games, we would uh, go to the local 7-Eleven. I'm not making this up. Get Gatorade and uh, stand in the parking lot and talk about how great each one of us were in the game. Totally exaggerating <laughs> all the great plays. And Joe had this immortal quote. This is in the 80s, Emma. He goes, uh, he was talking to this other guy, Wilfredo, and he goes, I played a game to win. You played a game to run around and lose weight. I've been using that quote for, oh, gosh, it's been mid-35 years or so. I played a game to win. <laughs> Matai plays the game to win. She's not playing a game to run around and lose weight. She plays the game to win. Well, yeah, I mean, I, what I loved about that interview and about uh, doing that interview and doing that quote was um, I just think that, uh, you know, I started my work in politics here. The first the first race I ever worked on was Jay Travis in 2014, the former executive director of the Kenwood Oakland Community Organization when she primaried a state rep um, on the south side of Chicago. And, you know, we didn't we didn't win. And I really took that loss to heart. And I think that um, I just. I, I really think the thing that I really like about elections and the thing that even though as hard as they are and as much as they kind of drive me up the wall sometimes, the thing that I really like um, is 
is the clarity of it. You know, you set out to win and then the day on election day, or sometimes a little bit after election day because of, you know, vote by mail these days, but you know, you know, if you won or not, and it's a, you know, it's not like a winning election isn't something that dramatically changes every single thing. You still have to administer and govern and there's transitions and there's policies and there's, there's always politics around it and power and organizing. Um, but it is elections are just like a really clear test of, did you win a majority of people to your vision? Um, and not just your vision for the city, but also the idea that electoral politics is a way that you can make those things happen. Because a lot of people, right, they don't, you know, a lot of people don't vote in these elections. A lot of people look at what's happening in Chicago and, you know, to the point about combat or whatever, they come to the conclusion that politics isn't for me, right? That like nothing, these problems aren't solvable by people coming together and doing things or by these politicians or whatever. And, um, you know, people care about the problems in their neighborhood, but they just don't think that politics will work. And so I think part of what we have to do as organizers and as people who do this work is show that when we do the work and we do it in the right way and we do it in a way that brings people in and brings people together, that it actually can have a meaningful impact. To your point about Dick Mel, you know, like Dick Mel would not have been at the police stations getting people out of you know, providing jail support during the uprisings the way Rosanna was. Dick Mel would not have been providing food and diapers to people who were struggling so deeply during the pandemic. People would not, would not have been on the front lines of the migrant crisis the way that Rosanna was, you know, when Governor Abbott sent, you know, homeless refugee-seeking families to our city. Um, and I think that Rosanna and many of the other people who we've helped to get elected through a very big effort have demonstrated that we can have higher expectations and set our sights higher. And if we put the right work in, we can get better outcomes through this process. And that's something that I just really believe in. But you have to win in order to do it, in order to prove the point. All right. So let's get into uh, winning uh, and what can be accomplished by winning. Uh, and so much of politics is like a game, uh, un not unlike the basketball games that I used to play before I officially retired. From the game and um and so in, that, in other words it's sort of like i get the sense that people are winning because i want to it's like i won i'm the man i won i beat you okay and there's no great vision behind it other than mm -hmm. i won i beat you mm -hmm. uh so united working families has a vision for where they want chicago to go uh, and so why don't you spell it out so that anybody listening to this can go, oh, yeah, I agree with that. Of course, the, the, the other thing is I could go, oh, my God, I'm going to work every, against anything that Emma Tai stands for after I heard what she said. But put it out there. If you vote for a working families candidate, what essentially are you voting for? You're voting for reopening the mental health clinics. You're voting for um, fully funded neighborhood public schools. You're voting for treatment, not trauma, which is to send social workers, not armed police officers to mental health crises. You're voting to tax the rich so that communities can get what they need. You're voting for year round youth employment so that young people have a place to go after school and during the summer and have a feeling of growing up in a city that cares about them. Um, and the thing that I really love about UWF is that it's not, you know, this isn't, this is, you know, this is my vision. Obviously, I believe in it, but it's, it's not actually about the individual. It's not about the individual elected official or the individual staff people. Um, it's about coming from a common struggle that we've been through for really for decades in the city. We just released our, um, our most recent newsletter, looked back at 10 years of movement building. So sort of 2012 to 2022 thinking about the teachers strike of 2012 which was really turning the tide on school privatization and the layoffs of black teachers um, and union busting um, 2012 was also the years of the uh, clinics occupation that was the year that Rahm Emanuel closed the mental health clinics in places like Woodlawn and so we had an article and it's just a really um, you know it's a really beautiful and honestly very humbling thing to be a part of to see people who are on the front lines of that strike to keep our schools open to keep our mental health clinics open um to now be in places like city council where there's a you know an article looking back um with carlos ramirez rosa about his multi-year you know fight together with palenque lsna to build 100 affordable housing right along the blue line it's just a really um 
again, just a beautiful and powerful trajectory to see of um, these people in struggle who through prolonged and sustained work together um, are taking the reins of public sector, of the public sector and using it not just to make the rich, rich not or not just, but they're, you know, we're using the levers of the public sector and of city government not to make the rich richer, which is pretty much what Rahm Emanuel and all those guys did, um, but to use it to make the working class, the poor and working class majority of people to make people's lives better. And it's just a really um, beautiful thing to see expressed. Have you seen any benefits over the last four years, the Lori Lightfoot years, on this on this overall struggle that you're de you're describing? Because you talked about things that uh, sort of instigated the struggle. And uh, I remember very clearly uh, the mental health closers. I remember the protest, yeah. mowing mm -hmm. gloves. I remember it all. Uh, mm -hmm. and, uh, that's really inside the mowing gloves for uh, reference. I'll let it go. Uh, and I remember the teacher strike as well. So these, you're, you're talking about things that kind of began uh, this particular mm -hmm. uh, era of progressive politics in the city of Chicago. What about the last four years? Have you, have you seen something that you, you thought to yourself, my goodness, that's a sign that Chicago uh, for once uh, is doing the right thing. I mean, I think we, you know, the last four years, you know, our people have been a legislative minority, so it's been hard, but I think we have seen, you know, what kind of concessions you can extract even from that position to the point that you were talking about earlier about um, what happens when people treat city council like an actual legislative body and not just kind of like an approver of the mayor's agenda. And I think we've really made important entrees into that. Um, so, you know, I think about Alderwoman Jeanette Taylor's work, for example, around the community benefits agreement for Woodlawn around the Obama Presidential Center um, and her work with together with a coalition of community groups to kind of see that one through. Um, we also, you know, we, because we have members who are aldermen, you know, they're the ones who gave us, you know, who shared with us the sort of blockbuster revelation that the Lightfoot administration had spent $280 million of the COVID money on the Chicago Police Department CPD overtime, essentially. And so our ability to break that story was able to shape, I really think, the conversation around how the next tranche of COVID money was used. So we saw you know, the Chicago Rescue Plan and a lot of those demands, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars instead of going to the police as had happened with the CARES Act. You saw them going towards emergency housing and domestic violence prevention, um, you know, mental health, uh, mental health supports the pilot for um, treatment, not trauma. So I think we've seen concessions, um, but we need more. Like clearly we need more, you know, bring Chicago home, the campaign to tax the sale of multi-million dollar properties and use it to end homelessness. Um, you know, that was squashed by the mayor and her allies. Lincoln, Lincoln Yards was the very first piece of legislation that she moved through when she um when she became mayor. So there have been there have been concessions and there have been setbacks, and it's all just part of a very long and sustained struggle to, you know take power in government and use it to secure more justice and more resources um, and better lives for people. Do you ever have, well, you mentioned Jeanette Taylor, good, good friend of the show, uh, JT, all Jeanette Taylor, shout out Jeanette Taylor, 20th Ward. Uh, shout she, out JBT. Uh, she just, she uh, stood up to Lori Life on, of all things, the issue of uh, uh, putting, um, uh, people who are migrants, uh, excuse me, migrants, uh, people who have been bussed into Chicago by Gregory Abbott uh, into a school in her war. And the issue was that there was no, um, uh, th there was no working with the neighborhood. There was no uh, input. Uh, there was just something that was just sort of shoved down their throats. That would kind of put your organization in a difficult situation because, you know, here's Jeanette, you, Jeanette Taylor, who's one of the great progressive older women in the city council taking a stand that, would be uncomfortable for progressives to stay. When you see stuff like that, what's how do you deal with that uh, in your own mind internally? Just like I mean, I am going to say, you know, I, I, you know, Jeanette has a very valid. She has multiple valid points, and I'm always going to defend her. Like I, you know, I ride for her. She has a point that you know, she and members in her community were not consulted about the planning. I don't know if you saw the pictures when her staff did. You know, when folks did a walkthrough. 
that school is not fit for people to live in. It's not, it's not a good place for people to live. Um, and you can call, I guess, you know, obviously our political opponents will call that anti-immigrant sentiment, but I think it's actually reasonable to say, like, I don't think this school is, a, this is not a permanent solution. Um, and to have real questions um, about, you know, just how resources are allocated in this city. Like this is, you know, we live in, you know, one of the richest cities and the richest country in the history of the world. Like there is enough money to keep schools open, to make sure that long-term, the long-term residents of Woodlawn have things like youth jobs and community services and beautiful parks and to good recreational programming and to make sure that Venezuelan asylum, Venezuelan asylum seekers aren't sleeping in bus stations. The fact that both of these things are happening is frankly outrageous um, to say nothing of the fact that then communities, the least of these are being pitted against each other is by people who benefit from people having, from black and brown people having so very little, it's outrageous, it's painful. And we absolutely should point our finger at the mayor who would rather use people as props actually do anything about the fact that this school has been lying empty for years and there has not been a plan to turn it into housing into a clinic into a youth center and it's only when she can get up there on the podium and talk about how bad republicans are um, that you suddenly have like an idea about what to do with this closed school it's outrageous on all levels it's a very painful situation um and I'm frankly glad that we're having the conversation um, as difficult as it is, because um, there's enough there's enough for all of us, but it requires more of the rich. And that is who's the correct target in this situation. Uh, well, let's get into that that final point you made, or that one of the last points you made about Lori Lightfoot uh, in the upcoming mayoral election. Uh, right before we went on the air, I got a text uh, from a, a Lori Lightfoot uh, fan and supporter who will remain anonymous. Uh, and he texted me. He, <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't mean to laugh because he's so happy right now. Um, <laughs> because follow me on this. Uh, he presumes that uh, Lori Lightfoot will be reelected because he presumes that uh, Lori Lightfoot and Paul Vallis uh, we'll meet uh, in the finals. And as everybody knows, this is the Ben Jarofsky show. There's a first round and a second round because no one's getting more than 50% of the vote. Uh, and so he was sending me some poll. I don't know who poll. I don't believe any poll anymore. Emma Ty, you sent me a poll. I wouldn't believe it. Okay. I'm just nah. saying. That. I don't believe polls anymore, particularly coming in Chicago's mayoral election. But uh, he just believes that uh, Lori Lightfoot will be reelected because Lori Life will probably go up against Paul Vallis. Uh, and Paul Vallis is essentially uh, the MAGA man in this mayor's race. Uh, and that will be a very convenient target uh, for Lori Lightfoot to run against. So this is a classic Chicago world view. What's your thoughts about all that? I mean, I, I guess I kind of think that predicting the future is a little bit of a fool's errand. I will say that <laughs> is your friend a member of the Chicago Tribune editorial board? <laughs> because <laughs> that's certainly what they want. <laughs> not. <laughs> okay. I can tell you right now. I am not, nor have I ever been. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, I think that um, everything that I've seen in terms of like, you know, Yes, like the polls have a certain amount of spin on them, da 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 da. And, you know, I think everything that I've seen shows that like Paul Vallis is consolidating the kind of right wing, various sort of like right most market forces Democrats to the like super mega part of the electorate. Um, and that there's there's a fight for second place basically um between chewy Lori, and brandon johnson and i'll say i feel pretty good about where we are with brandon johnson i don't think any other campaign has a ground game like what we've assembled for brandon in terms of the level of coordination with aldermanic campaigns across the city with community groups with labor with our own individual members it is a level of i think kind of unprecedented, or at least I've never seen before this level of political coordination amongst 
the community labor left grassroots um, behind kind of a common vision and a common analysis of what it's going to take. And so I, I was actually cracking up because there were pictures of um, these house parties that we've been organizing for Brandon to raise money because this is a you know people powered campaign. And someone was on Twitter saying, um, these are house party actors. This can't be real. Chicago doesn't look like that. These aren't, uh, you know, <laughs> these are actors. You know, you're staging these pictures. I don't believe you're doing it. And I, I love that. because It's like, you can, you can go on and believe that we're not doing it, but the, you know, the polls are going to tell a different story on election day. Uh, so you don't have that existential nightmare of having to, uh, the lefties' existential nightmare of having to decide between Paul Vallis uh, and Lori Lightfoot. I guess, um, you know, honestly, I just can't spend my time worrying on it. I'm just, I play to win, Ben. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't spend my time thinking about the what ifs. I spend my time thinking about what I can do to get the win. So that's what I'm thinking about. Oh, days. my God, Lacey, that is beautiful. If you spend <laughs> your time worrying about something that may or may not happen a week, you can't hit that jump shot. OK, <laughs> if you play to win, you got to hit the jump shot. Yeah, you just uh, got to go. Yeah, it's only people like me who worry about. Oh, God, I got to choose. Uh, <laughs> what a choice. <laughs> uh, I've already dealt with that in my mind. I think you, maybe uh, you just need to go do some more canvassing with us, Ben. Uh, you will have less time, less time for worrying. And you do not want to send me out as a canvasser. Okay. <laughs> just let's get that straight. I am the world's worst canvasser. And if you want proof, ask a certain Ryan. She'll tell you. I start engaging people in conversations and the, and they're like the real cameras just like, Ben, um, we don't have 20 minutes to spend talking to this guy about the bulls. All right. You do not want to put me anywhere near a doorbell or a door. All right. That's, <laughs> then I start arguing with, them. uh, that doesn't do you any good. So no, you don't want me canvassing. For, I don't canvass for anybody. All right. Uh, so you made it clear you're for Brandon Johnson. Uh, let's talk about some of these automatic candidates. So, folks, if you share this lefty vision, these are candidates uh, that you should know about. Uh, so, I don't know. Just pick a candidate, any candidate, and take it away, Emma. Yeah, well, there's there's a lot of them. We've endorsed 19. So, we're getting closer to that 26-seat council majority. That um, So, um, I... I I think it would be hard to go down, go through all of them, but I think you know you got a couple different you got a couple different buckets here, right? We've got the incumbents um, who have taken very principled stands, uh, many of whom have taken very principled stands over the past four years, and as a result are you know the target of attacks. For example, um, you know Rahm Emanuel's donors and former campaign manager have formed a super PAC to come after Byron Sigchel Lopez in the 25th ward. You mentioned yourself, the sort of vestiges of the Mel machine is mounting a campaign against Rosana Rodriguez Sanchez in the first ward. Daniel Espada is actually very scary. Someone just uh, smashed the windows of his campaign office last night. I was just uh, texting with him. I was like, are you guys okay? And he was like, yep, just got to get the glass cleaned up because we're going out canvassing tomorrow. So, you know, we're not scared and the, you know, the threat is real. You also have a set of progressive challengers who are taking on, you know, incumbents who have really been on the wrong side for four, if not longer, years. So that's folks like you've got Lori Torres um, in the 36th Ward going up against Gil Viegas. Um, you have, uh, let me think, you have... Um, Muiz Buwani going up against Deb Silverstein up in the 50th ward. You've got Vico Alvarez going against Ray Lopez, who's just been horrible um, for the past however many years. Um, and then you've also got a historic number of open city council seats, right? You know, we've got incumbent city, you know, older, older people um, who for whatever reasons are retiring in kind of a record number. So that's creating opportunity for new leaders like Angela Clay in 46th where James Kappelman is retiring, um, Jesse Fuentes and Julia Ramirez and um, uh, the 26th Ward and 12th Ward respectively, Oscar Sanchez down in 10, Desmond Yancey and Will Hall um, and Kahari Humphreys in five, six and four. 
So, you know, it's a big, it's a lot of, <laughs> it's a lot of seats. Um, and I think it's going to be uh, a really different city council um, that we come into in May. All right. So 26, you said, uh, and the number was chosen 26 because there's 50 aldermen. Hold on while I do the math. Oh yeah. 26 would mean a majority. Uh, and that didn't take too long for me to do the math. I went to Evanston High School uh, and uh, <laughs> studied algebra. Um, <laughs> um, even past, thank you, Mr. Sibley. Um, but uh, how much leeway? I don't think I've ever asked you this question, Emma. How much leeway would you, not only as the leader of this organization, but just in general as I don't know, what you call yourself, progressive lefty, whatever. I don't want to presume you call yourself a lefty. Uh, how much leeway do you give any alderman in the Chicago City Council to sort of vote against uh, where you stand on a particular issue? Oh, it's a great question. And it's honestly something that I think we're all really learning how to do. Um, particularly because as sort of context you mentioned, most people don't have practice with city council being any kind of independent legislative, like serious independent legislative deliberative body, right? It's it's the idea of dissenting votes, of um, parliamentary or legislative negotiations, like that is all very new terrain. Um, and I'm not gonna say that we always 100% got it right these last four years. We, um, you know, and that being said, I do think that, um, you know, what's the point of being a political organization? What's the point of trying to be a party? What's the point of being like a caucus um, if you can't hold together and negotiate as a block? Like our power, whether you're talking about, you know, in a legislative body like city council or, you know, on a picket line, it comes in numbers. Um, and there has to be, and that's just, that's organizing like anything else. Like we got to stick together and we got to be disciplined about how we use our collective power to extract concessions from a system that given its druthers would give us nothing. You said we didn't get it all right. What, what were you particularly alluding to? I mean, I think that, um, I think that, I mean, I'll say personally, like, um, I think that there's just, I'll just say like a lot about even just like the sequencing of how to move legislation through, like whether you should move amendments or introduce a whole separate ordinance and whether something goes to rules or to committee, it's just like anything else. There's a lot about the, I think, you know, when we, right after the 2019 elections, I had, I've never, I'd never worked in city council. I'd never worked in passing legislation through city council. I'd only ever been kind of um, in the electoral space or I'm not, a, you know, I'm not a lobbyist, right? And so, and, and it was like around, we were around a lot of people who also just their experience of city council was again, just like not one where like you could move legislation independently of what came out of the mayor's office. And so that just creates a lot of room for, like experimentation um, and also just like, if you experiment, you're gonna just like get some things wrong. Um, but I don't know, I think overall, like, and I'm, I'm trying to think of like a specific example, but I just think overall in no small part because of UWF, because of a set of courageous and principled aldermen, because of um, all of the many community grassroots labor movement organizations we do this work with, um, I really think it's been our interventions the last four years that have created the idea that created room for the idea that city council could pick its own committee chairs. That, you know, an alderman could send a piece of the mayor's legislation to the rules committee. That stuff you didn't you has didn't used to happen, at least not in ways that you know benefited uh, working class politics. Yeah, you know, I guess it happened, you know, in council wars under Howard Washington. Um, but the idea of it happening in a way that is of benefit to movements for social and racial justice. Um, that is a thing that we've figured out how to do, frankly, through trial and error. Oh my goodness. This, this is one of my favorite topics uh, that you uh, have 
touched on. Uh, I've I've said from for so long, man. It's, I can hear it in my head. But Council Wars from 1983. This is way before Emma's time because she's way younger than me. But Council <laughs> Wars in the 80s uh, gave democracy a bad name. If you and mm-hmm. I notice it's impossible to do, but if you take the the white supremacy racist stuff out of Council Wars, <laughs> I know, I know, it's you can't really do it. But if you take it out, it was the city council. It's everything an independence want. It's the city council acting on its own, naming its own uh, uh, chairs, committee chairs. It's having an alder, alderman, an alder uh, person, Ed Verdoliak, who had the, the smarts and charisma to whip his uh, supporters into a unified bunch. And they put that toward the worst possible ends. They were sabotaging Harold Washington because they wanted white people to be so mad and so scared at the prospect of Harold Washington as their mayor that they would vote for any white person in 1987 in the reelection. Mm. That's why they did it. So they gave democracy a bad name. Mm. And we've been laboring under that. And you know what so really gets to me as an old lefty? Like when the most cynical purveyors of... <laughs> The government that you were just talking about use council wars to justify uh, what rubber stamps. Well, you don't want the total chaos mm. of the 1980s. You don't want to be Verdoliak and Burke. No, I don't. Didn't say I want to be Verdoliak and Burke. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe you could use democracy for something positive in the city of Chicago as opposed to racism. Your thoughts? I mean, I think that um, I think that's a really powerful observation and I for me what it makes me think of is um something that I've you know just if I can be personal here um uh, you know as a woman as a woman of color um just like wrestling with um wrestling wrestling with the idea of power the idea of power is something that we should have that we should we shouldn't run away from it um and that there um, I think that what we've tried to do and what I've tried to do and what sort of the collective we has tried to do over the last four years um, is to really say that these things could be ours, right? We could have committee chairs who will hold hearings on treatment, not trauma. We could have committee chairs who will move, bring Chicago home because those are things that we want and that we deserve and that we can get. We can we can win elections. We can have the fifth floor. We can have a majority on council and the committee chairs that come with it. Um, and not only that we can have them, you know, we can have them if we're brave enough to fight for them, to say we want them and then to go get them um, because they should be ours. They shouldn't belong to the wealthy few. They should belong to the many. So we have to say we want them and then we have to organize to go and make them ours because those are the tools by which we can deliver the services and the world and the city that our people deserve. So, yeah, you can learn uh, from council wars. You, That's, I mean, you want to get something done positive for the city of Chicago. That's what the city council is for. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? You you have to organize the city council for positive things the way Verdoliak and I don't even know if I should give Burke credit for anything. Uh the way that Verdoliak organized them uh for negative things. Yeah, so we can use these, we can use these they're, they're tools. Um power is power is neutral. Um, and it's bad if the people who wield it are using it to make the rich richer and to, you know spread racism and to oppress people and it's good if we're using it to you know open clinics and help people live long happy you know long sustained and um fulfilling lives i don't know about the happy part of it yeah that's like that's for another podcast is you know the nature of whether our lives are supposed to be happy oh <laughs> man be happy what a concept hold on let me think about that for a moment i'm going uh, all right. I'll uh, so, let me ask you filling. Uh, so this is a question. I want to watch you answer this question. So I could answer. Uh, I'll, I'll start off with an example. So my question to you is, have you ever uh, 
uh, endorse somebody for office. Let's talk. Let's stay with Alderman because we've been talking about the city council. And then after uh, you've endorsed them and they were victorious and you watched them in action, you said to yourself, oh, my God, what have I done? How could I possibly misread someone so much? How could I possibly have been fooled uh, by anybody uh, so much? I, I personally, I'm just, you know, this is confession time, Emma. The, the, hey, man, this is me in 2019. I voted for Lori Lightfoot. I oh, talk wow. about it on the mic all of, all the time. Yeah, you mm -hmm. must have missed that show. Because yeah. uh, I, I talk about it all the time. I voted. I had a lot of different reasons, but we'll go stay away from my personal reasons. But um, uh, she told me absolutely everything she knew I wanted to mm -hmm. hear. Mm -hmm. before uh, Mick Dumpke and myself at the hideout for our first Tuesday show. And I was like, God damn, Mick, dang, someone for TIFF reform. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I went against Lincoln Yard. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, was I fooled. Anyway, have you ever had a moment like that, Emma Ty? Yeah, I mean, um, I, I think it's like a pretty, I mean, I generally, I generally feel quite good about the endorsements that UWF makes. It's an extremely, it's extremely intensive process and it's gotten more intensive as we've sort of gotten more power and gotten bigger and more people have gotten involved. So to like give you a sense of what it was this year, um, you had to be, so we don't interview like every person who's running for a seat. Like we don't have to pretend that the person who's backed by the fraternal order of police and the person who's been out here you know fighting for treatment not trauma are like equally deserving of equal consideration by our organization <laughs> so we don't pretend that and we actually go one step further and say that if you even want to be considered for an interview you have to be nominated um, by a member of our leadership body so people can only um, apply you know they only even come in for the question and the interview if they're nominated um, they're interviewed by you know, members of our, you know, elected leadership, as well as dues paying members who live in their district who get to ask questions about local issues. And then after that interview, they, um, they, it goes for a vote before what's called our party committee, and you need to have a two thirds majority vote on party committee. So it's a pretty rigorous process. And it's become more rigorous in part because, you know, I think as we've all learned, um, like, you know, as recently as 2019, but also since then and before then, it's like pretty easy for candidates to kind of say whatever they think will get them elected um, and then not do those things. And, you know, does that process solve for, for that problem entirely? Like definitely not. Um, and it does mean that we get to be pretty picky, um, which I think is important. Um, there are some people, and I'm not going to name names, but there are some people who've like been endorsed before who didn't get endorsed this time. Um, and if you like look carefully at our website, I'm sure you can find out who those people are. Um, but um, but I think that um, but I think that you know I do, but I generally do think that I don't know. I don't. I didn't vote for Lori Lightfoot, but but I don't hold it against you, Ben, because I think that we all just are like doing the best with the information that we have at the time. It's like you know we're all just we're all just trying to do our best with what information we have and draw the reasonable conclusions and make reasonable predictions about what we think they'll be like. But nobody knows the future. Uh, yes, thank you uh, for absolving me of any responsibility for <laughs> the last four years. I'm never coming on your show again, Ben. <laughs> Uh, I know. <laughs> yeah, that's it. You went too far. That's it. <laughs> she plays to win, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so, um, all right. Uh, I got to ask you this question. This is also Please. on my mind. This is like lefty land question. And I struggle with this. Uh, so I get a lot of texts uh, from uh, all kinds of people. Uh, and um including my beloved lefties. And some of them are really mad at Jesus Garcia and trying to uh, get me to really rip Jesus Garcia. Now, I got my issues with Jesus Garcia. They go back way, way long ago, okay? Mm -hmm. so we, uh, we, we, we've uh, had a very interesting uh, relationship over the years. Uh, but my advice to lefties is these abrupt changes that uh, leftists... 
go through and want the public to keep up with them are too hard for mm -hmm. most people to keep up with. And I'm like, Jesus Garcia is a classic case. It was only how many months ago, Emma, that Jesus Garcia uh, and Bernie Sanders were endorsing Delia Ramirez and Jonathan Jackson uh, for Congress and in doing so were put up there to help get out the vote for Jackson and Delia. And now all of a sudden people are trying to get me to go on my show and blast him. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, first of all, I'm not going to do that just because you want me to do it. You know what I mean? I just don't mm -hmm. work that way. <laughs> the worst way to deal with me is to tell me I got to do something. Um, but beyond that, <laughs> this is not going to work. You mean um, you're not going to come canvassing with me? <laughs> uh, no, God. You okay, don't sorry. want me to can't trust me when I tell you, okay? I, I don't mind canvassing. I go door to door. I talk, what's going on? And then I start talking. And who do you think is going to win the Oscars this year? And I mean, I'm like, come on. Nobody cares about the Oscars. Uh, what's your favorite movie? Uh, did you see Jackie Brown? You know? Uh, so uh, you don't want me on those doors, okay? Um, but it's like, guys, it's too much. You're asking Chicagoans too much. You can't take a guy that you were just putting up as this great, champion of progressivity when you wanted people to vote for Delia and Jonathan and then turn around and say, he's no good. It's just too fast for what Gregory Pratt calls normal people in Chicago who aren't political mm -hmm. junkies. Your mm -hmm. thoughts on that? I mean, I guess, um, I guess I think that, um, I don't really, I mean, I guess I, I think that, I don't think that I haven't heard from our spaces too much. Anyone saying, you know, he's no good. I have heard people saying it, which I think is the right argument, is that why would you leave Congress? There is such a small, the Republicans have such a small majority. They're, you know, I think either they have or they are about to get rid of proxy voting. Um, so all of these votes are going to be decided on a, you know, really razor thin margin. And in two years, the Democrats could be in majority again. Like, it seems pretty important <laughs> for you to be there and to be advancing the issues that he does have a substantive track record on. I'm specifically thinking about immigration, which is only becoming sort of more heightened and like more steeped in this really horrible xenophobic racist rhetoric. Um, like I, I think that he should be there. And I think that people who are backed by the forces that have been sort of most on the front line in critiquing and offering offering alternatives to what the Lightfoot administration has done should be challenging her for mayor. That is a really good answer. That's why she plays to win and wins. And I just talk about uh, But I'm just gonna don't, don't get mad at me when I'm gonna say when when, when you were when you were giving that answer, it reminded me, I'll never forget. And don't get mad at me what I'm about to say. Uh 1983, oh God, I was so young. Uh, Emma and uh, I uh, uh, went up to uh, Dan Rostenkowski, who used to be this powerhouse from Chicago uh, and um, congressman. Uh, I think kind of you could argue that Delia has his seat now. Anyway, neither here nor there. Um, so he was a powerhouse uh, and he was a congressman and committeeman, Dan Rostenkowski, name pretty much forgotten. Uh, and I went up to him and I go, well, so uh, Congressman Rustinkowski, why are you not supporting Harold Washington for mayor of the city of Chicago? OK, I asked him that question and this, he was a big man and he patted me on the shoulder. He like, like, kid, because I need Harold in, in Congress and that's why I want to keep Harold in Congress. <laughs> I was like, oh, that was a good answer. It's <laughs> You wouldn't endorse Harold in a million freaking years because you're so afraid of, you know, well, you probably don't want a black guy running the show anyway, but you're afraid of the white backlash. But you know how he positioned it in such a way. It was like, I really like Harold as a congressman. Uh, so I kind of had an echo of that in my mind when you said it. But you, it's there is some truth to that. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a fair, yeah. you know, I was looking at the, did you look at the Chicago Sun-Times questionnaires at all by any chance? uh which ones uh then from for mayor oh no i've kind of skimmed um, them which one are you talking about uh, uh well i mean it's just like it goes to the point of like who i want for mayor is someone who is very clear on where they stand 
on reopening mental health clinics, you know, bring Chicago home, moratorium on school closings after 2025. And, you know, Brandon says he's supportive of all those things and Chewy answered other. I'm like, I, I think you should, I think you might, like you might be well positioned in Congress. Like, and I think it's important for the next mayor of Chicago to have a pretty, not to have a clear position on these issues and for the answer to be yes. <laughs> um, not just to be clear about whether you're yes or no, but to actually say yes to those things. Fair enough. And uh, now you got me feeling embarrassed that I have not study those uh sometimes responses so i'm gonna go back i'll, I'll, I'll my... text them to you no because <laughs> <laughs> I, I know you don't do the chat <laughs> yeah don't chat don't send it by chat uh <laughs> text all right now, now. uh it, it's a blast talking to you always uh why don't you anything you want folks to know before uh we we sign off you know if folks want to get more information uh yeah, um, you know what I'm going to do, Ben, is actually when you launch this, uh, when you launch the show, I'm going to send you, we have a page where all of our volunteer opportunities are coming up. You don't have to canvas. You could also, you know, make phone calls. We're doing a text party tomorrow. You could come to a fundraiser meet and greet. Brandon's at a lot of those. Oftentimes they're aldermanic candidates. I'm going to text Ben the link right now. You should go check it out. Um, there's still lots of ways to get involved before February 28th. All right, and we'll make a deal, we'll cut a deal as Chicago. Uh, you will never put me uh, on a canvassing team ever. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I will agree uh, not to go on one, even if some for some reason you try to get me one. Yeah, don't put me on a canvassing team. Uh, Amitai, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you, Ben. Talk to you soon. All right. That's Bye-bye. Thank you very much. also want to thank uh, producer Chris. Outstanding job, as he always does. And as I always say, producer Chris, give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Peace and love, everybody. And remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows, Benny J bonus interviews, and so much more at chicagoreader.com or wherever else you get your podcasts.